0: Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Sean Hale, owner of Sean Hale Consulting. How are you doing, Sean? Doing great, thanks. How about you, Dallas? I am hanging in there. So this is the question I ask everybody right up front, uh, which is, when did you first hear about COVID-19? I think it's kind of interesting getting an idea of where our collective consciousness was on this thing.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard about it um, in January at some point. And at that point, kind of thought, all right, you know, is this going to be like SARS and all the other ones where there's a lot of hoopla, but then, you know, it kind of Goes away, it gets contained or goes away, or whatever it is that's happen, happened to those other ones that didn't really turn into pandemics. And it was the second to last week in February that I decided, you know, this could be really serious. And so I made a really big grocery run, uh, so much that I could not really, I like hurt myself pushing the grocery cart back to my car. Like I, I really had to go back home and lay down afterwards. There's just that much stuff in there, um, not toilet paper. We were not hoarding that, but, um, we did get just like, all right, you know, like what happens if the grocery stores, you know, shut down we had no idea how well H-E-B was prepared. Like I'm, you know, I'm totally impressed by, um, how they they were preparing and responding, but I had no idea at that time. And then it finally, like, uh, the, you know, it was totally real on uh, March 13th when, uh, Actually, March 12th at 8 o'clock, the school district emailed us and said, hey, school's on tomorrow. So this was a Thursday. And then at 3 a.m., they emailed everybody and said, psych, school's canceled. And so I'm sure there were plenty of families that did not check their email and just kind of rolled out of bed and took their kids to school that day. And so something happened overnight. I think uh, they, there was like the first diagnosed case in Charles County or something. And uh,
0: so, yeah, we've been – Living it firsthand ever since. Okay. So you were kind of on the earlier side of things. I was there with you in January hearing about this and going, that seems like something I should keep my ear on or eye on. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, Tell me about what you do and how you got started in the nonprofit universe for our listeners.
1: Oh, my gosh, that's a long story. Let me see if I can make it manageable. (laughs) Um, You know, I've been professionally doing nonprofit stuff since uh, 1999, and I got started working for a little nonprofit uh, built on the side of a garage up in Round Rock, and uh, I was only the second employee, and so I really got to wear all the hats, which was great. Um, Like, every single thing I got to try it on, and you know, including building websites and doing the IT and doing the finances and, you know, learning bookkeeping and learning all the stuff. And it was great to really get a sense of what am I good at, where can I add value. Um, and I, I found out that it was very satisfying to me to really help organizations succeed. Like, you know, there, there are people in this world who take pleasure from being on the front lines and delivering the services that we need to make this a better place. I like making that job easier for them. And, you know, I'm sure it'd be satisfying to be on the front lines there with them, but there are so few people, I think, that really enjoy making all that other stuff, making sure the trains run on time, making sure that the lights come on and that people get paid, and that's all painless. And the thousand other details that go into making sure that all the program people can really just focus on doing what they're good at and not worry about, is my computer going to turn on today? Is the Internet going to work today? It's the other thousand things that when they're working well, they're just in the background and they can just about take it for granted. You don't want them to totally take it for granted, but you don't want them spending a lot of brain space on that either.
0: Right. Okay. So uh, you, you did a good job, by the way, of summing that up really quickly of, of uh, how you got your starts. So you've been in this for a long time and you've just recently uh, launched your own, independent consulting firm. What was it like starting out like that right as the world began, began to go totally insane? Yeah.
1: um, It, you know, setting up your own businesses can be, I I think frightening and exhilarating at the same time. And, uh, you know, having the kids come home 24 seven just added another wrinkle to it. And so we've done a lot of pivoting, Um, but, you know, um, I'm, and it's – yeah, there's certainly been a lot of pivoting, but, um, you know, we know that in spite of, you know, like what are my family is experiencing and what I'm experiencing professionally is like hiccups compared to families that either are firsthand dealing with sickness or firsthand worrying – like where they're worrying about whether or not they still have a roof over their heads or they have food to, to, to feed their families. And so there we – that helps us keep perspective on like, yeah, this is, this is a, it's a pain in the butt, but it, it's just a pain in the butt. And it's, we're not worried about life and death stuff either in my household or immediate family. And so uh, we feel very fortunate about
0: that. Okay. So Rocky, but obviously could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that we kind of have a little bit of an idea that you are, you know, you know what you're talking about when it comes to nonprofit stuff, what, Problems are you seeing in your cross section of the nonprofit universe right now?
1: You know, um, there's the same, oh, half of it's the same challenges and opportunities that nonprofits always have. And we can come back around to that in a minute if you want, because I think you're asking about kind of specifically what, how is coronavirus manifested um, for folks and how is that? impacted the back office and things like that. And, you know, like right now I'm, I'm talking to um, the center for nonprofit studies over at ACC to put on in conjunction with them and with uh, the league for nonprofit human capital, which is a, it's a peer group that I helped to lead of uh, nonprofit HR professionals. And so we're going to be putting on a round table for nonprofit professionals so that they can talk about their reopening plans. Cause that, for folks right now in these weeks is really important. They're really trying to figure out how do we, you know, whether or not they're already opened their doors again and they have, and they're still kind of fine tuning it or whether or not they're planning on reopening their doors August 1st to September 1st. There are a lot of boxes they have to to check to do it right. And uh, so we're going to be pulling people together, HR professionals and other people who even if they, aren't officially HR people. They have some kind of responsibility in that department. So they can, you know, share lessons learned, share their plans, uh, hopefully learn a little bit and uh, and those sorts of things. And these uh, roundtables, in my experience, have been really, uh, really helpful over the last few months. We've had them also about uh, around technology adaptation over the last four months and how a lot of organizations have had to, they weren't, ready on day one to go work from home. And so they've had like crash courses in technology and they've gotten to the other side of it and said, wow, you know, that was really rough. But, you know, now that we're on the other side of it, I kind of wish we'd done it a year or two ago because this would have made my life a whole lot better, right? Because right. <laughs> this, this this new technology is really making my job work a whole lot better. So that's another thing that people have been pivoting on. The Paycheck Protection Program is another one where there's still – some trepidation and like most organizations have gotten their loans and they kind of navigated through those waters where some banks were completely unhelpful and other banks were bending over backwards and so like a lot of banking relationships changed um but now the the kind of you know it's not burning today they don't have to solve it today but they know they do have to solve over the coming weeks and months how they're going to do the reporting cuz so much of that reporting on that has been convoluted and kind of crazy making and um, you know getting different advice from different people, and so it's really hard to know how they're going to do that, but a lot of people are working really hard to make sure they do the reporting
0: right so I mean maybe this is a just restating the obvious, but you you're seeing all kinds of problems from human from uh, just the human interaction side of things to the technology side of things. Maybe you were right uh, at the beginning I sh- probably should have asked you what problems do you normally? See in the nonprofit world, and then we can kind of move toward what you're seeing now, and how COVID has changed.
1: Well, you know, I don't know that I see anything a whole lot different from a lot of other professionals who've gotten to be in leadership positions at at nonprofits. They they do run the gamut, but um, you know, one of the things that I, I specialize in is really helping back offices to run at their peak efficiency and their peak effectiveness. And it's typically a, typically the, the back office is kind of part of a three-legged stool in a nonprofit. You have your programs that are doing great things to change the world directly, hands-on to change the world. You have the fundraising, which is bringing the money in to fuel the programs, but then you have your administrative function. And that, for most organizations, is kind of an afterthought And so many of them kind of wait until it's on fire to like, oh, yeah, yeah, we really need to do something about that, you know. Um, And that ends up being very expensive for the organizations in the long run. Um, And so there are lots of opportunities or problems um, depending on kind of at which stage it gets dealt with in terms of being able to deliver that high quality administrative function to the organizations very often they just they'll 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 have administrative they'll be understaffed in administration and they'll have not enough technology and not and or not enough experience to really do those functions well or even if they have somebody sometimes who's really experienced that person doesn't have time to sharpen the saw, right? That the day-to-day routines and responsibilities are so big that it's hard for them to stay up on new trends or to, like, they might even know, like, they might even know how to do all of it. But, you know, after they've put in a 40 or 50-hour week, they need to go home and rest or they're going to be a wreck the following week and they'll make terrible mistakes when they're running payroll or something else like that that has big consequences. And so, um Yeah, there there are always, in in my experience, um, there are always opportunities to really make that work well. And then when you do get those things running well, when you get the back office really running smoothly, there's more money available, staff are happier, turnover goes down, morale gets better. um, And uh, so you end up uh, typically saving money in the long run by investing in that well, much like you save money and you save time by sharpening that saw. And uh, it's kind of, yeah, working away at that tree with a rusty old axe or rusty old saw that's all dull, like it doesn't get you anywhere.
0: Right. And, you know, on that point, you bring up turnover. I know a lot of nonprofits deal with just exceptionally high turnover. And I can't help but wonder if it's because of those highly skilled, highly intelligent, highly, you know, just highly motivated people who can do all the jobs, who wind up doing all the jobs, just burn out. Do you think that has something to do with that issue we see in the nonprofit world? Um yeah, burnout it, it's yeah, there's no one thing that
1: causes turnover, but absolutely burnout is a big part of it. Um and I think that's true on the program side, and it's also true on the administrative side. I'm sure there's a certain degree of that on the fundraising side of the house as well. And so you do end up with these folks, and I, I've known quite a few of them, who just kind of work themselves to the bone. And that's very often not because somebody's cracking a whip over them. It, well, it's because they are cracking their own whip over themselves because they love the mission, they want to do good, um, and you know, just, just one more hour, just one more, this, just one more that. And sooner or later that stuff adds up. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it's, and, and so that ends up, you know, like the study show, you know, you're, you're getting, you're at peak productivity between 40 to 50 hours a week Uh Unions 100 years ago fought pretty hard so that we would just have a 40-hour week, but nonprofits very often go 50-plus. But really, people's productivity goes down after 50. Um, and that, in the long term, it, it gets really expensive. People make mistakes. They leave. They get burnt out. They get, um, yeah, they get sad and depressed and all all sorts of stuff. And so that that is important in getting – the right support in to really so you don't burn your staff out. And sometimes that part of that's a part of it's good tools, right? Having good technology or other things to make their, their work more efficient. And it's also just, you know, like really it's one of the things I've, one of the things I've discovered through experience, like you can have interns in the back office and they can do a great job. And it's amazing once you kind of think it through and try it out, that you you can leverage an intern to really help you move the needle. Not that the interns come in with a high level of expertise, but they can do. They can be very supportive on the audit. They can be very supportive on doing research. So, like if you know you need a new CRM, well, give the the you know hire a smart intern. They don't need to have a background in nonprofits, but you know hire somebody who's a go-getter, and uh, give them your basic specs and have them go out and do some of the research for you um, so that you're paying somebody, you know, living wage rather than a full professional salary. And they come back and say, hey, you know, I looked at all 120 of those CRMs that are out there and I I, I narrowed it down to these three, four, five for you so that now the management team didn't have to kind of didn't have to filter out those other 117, CRM options, and they can just really focus on the ones that are most likely to be an awesome match. Right. Things and like so, that.
0: And so dedicating your time to those things that are most efficient, or the most efficient use of your time, right? It doesn't do an executive director of a small nonprofit a whole lot of good to spend a week looking at, like you said, 120 CRMs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's also – tying this back around, that can be a source of burnout. When you have somebody who can operate at a, a higher level than they are, and they're spending a significant amount of time doing that, then that can also be really dispiriting. If they're spending time doing things that they can do kind of with their eyes closed, if you're, if somebody's spending 10 or 20 or more hours a week doing stuff they can do with their eyes closed, for somebody who's, for some people that's great. So I don't, I don't want to cast judgment here. And like those, you know, and it's sometimes it's really golden to have that person who's like happy to come in and yeah, do payroll over and over and over and over and over and over and and do it with excellence. And you know, you can count on them and you know, they're not going to get bored. Cool. We need those people, but we also, the nonprofits, they also need folks who do want to move the needle and want to keep advancing the organization and see it grow and see it ch- get its impact better. And those folks, they lose a little bit of their soul <laughs> the more the more hours they put in doing that stuff that could be delegated to that intern. And the intern will get something great out of it because they're going to get a learning experience. But, you know, I already know how to pull documents for an audit and I know how to research a CRM. And if, if they find themselves doing that all the time, they're going to – they're more than likely going to leave Right. the expense of hiring a new person. And the studies show that turnover can cost as much as 150% of the annual salary. Mm. And that's because you, you have that lost productivity. The people who are picking stuff up during the interim, they are having their productivity suffer and the jobs not getting done. None of the jobs are getting done as well. There's a morale impact. There's time lost doing the search and all the filtering, and then there's all the time training the person. And then once you do have that new person and you've given them their basic training, assuming you're training your folks with, which, yes, we do need to as nonprofits train folks, not just tell them, like, here's a desk. Good luck, um, which does happen all too often. Um, I, lo- I love helping with that too. It's not, it, it doesn't have to be hard to train people, but we're just, sometimes we're, we're, that's, that's kind of how we were brought into the nonprofits. And uh, so that's that's what we continue to perpetuate. But where was I? <laughs> Talking about turnover. Oh, yeah. And so then you, you, um, you have this new person in, you show them their desk, and you give them the very training, at least as good as the training you got when you came into the organization. But it still takes them a good year to get up to speed. And that's why turnover can cost you 150%. That doesn't mean you hang on to people forever. Sometimes you do have somebody in that seat who's just, no longer a good match for that job or whatever. And, you know, you ideally you work with them and try and get their, help them, you know, fall back in love with the job and get productive over this, that, and the other, you know, you don't just throw people out. That's not the way we do things in nonprofits, but um, so sometimes, you know, turnover does need to happen and sometimes turnover is healthy, but as a general rule, you want to, that to be intentional um, and not kind of par for the course.
0: Right. Well, Sean, this is one of the things I really enjoy talking with you about is that I just I know, OK, I can start on a, on a subject and you're going to have great insight on that. In fact, you brought up something that wasn't on my list of questions I wanted to ask you. But now that you've brought it up, I, I, I want to know what you have to say on this, because this is something that's come up in a couple of interviews and just also in just chats with my friends in the nonprofit world, which is onboarding a new person in the middle of a pandemic when you can't be next to that person and walk them through how to do the job in person. How do you train and on, how do you onboard and train somebody in the middle of a pandemic?
1: Yes. Well, it's a lot easier now than it was when I started my career um, when we were still using dial up internet. <laughs> so, um, and I actually it's been, was it during the current? I think, I think it was actually after the coronavirus lockdown and all that, that I, I discovered this, Cool new tool. It wasn't there two years ago, or if it was, it was really under the surface. Because I, I had I had the new guy in the office go and look for this, and he couldn't find it. I was like, I told him, "Dude, look, like, we need something like this." And what he came back with was the best that was available, but it wasn't really what we needed. So anyway, this this tool is Loom. Are you familiar with it?
0: Loom. No. I'm... Loom. It's
1: awesome. L o o m dot com. The basic version is free, and the basic version is going to do a whole lot, and it can really be transformative for, a, I think, all nonprofits, but especially your small to medium ones, because let's talk about training a new person. It's a pain in the butt, and it's highly time-consuming. That might be the reason why people don't do it. They just say, hey, here's your desk. Good luck. Um, Because whether it's, uh, you know, I think any part of the organization, so fundraising programs or administration, you know, you, you find yourself sitting down there with the person and, you know, showing inevitably at least half of it is showing them how to do something on the computer. And so, you know, they're sitting there with their notepad, and you're kind of all right, like, here's how we do accounts payable. And, you know, we we click here, and then we do this, and we do this, and they say, oh, wait, wait, stop it. I need to write that down and show me that again. And, like, it takes forever and to, to do that. And half the time they come back a week or two later, like, tell me how to do that again. And so you have to run through the whole darn thing again. And so here's what Loom does is it's a little app. You put it on your computer. Yeah, you click it when you are ready to, instead of training, you're going to create a little video. And you just double click on it. You tell it whether or not you want just um, just camera, just screenshot, or a combination of the two where it's full, you're sharing your screen, and there's a little bubble at the bottom with your face on it. And then You just do your routine because you're going to be cutting checks this week anyway, or running payroll or putting people into the CRM or whatever. And you just walk through your routine and you narrate over it. And so this is how we do payroll. And it's like, you know, we log, you know, we go to ADP and we log in and we plug the stuff in here. And, you know, we have three weird variations this week. And let me show you how we handle this exception and this exception and this exception. And here's how I double check it, and blah blah blah. You can hit pause in the middle if you need to, you know, if you're making a long video and you need to go get coffee or whatever, and then you hit stop when you're done. When you hit stop, it automatically sends the video up to the cloud, opens a window in your browser. You can, it already automatically generates a link for you. You might go in and change the title on it, and that takes all of 30 seconds so that, you know, you can kind of file it in a way that makes sense and it's not just the date on there. And then, that video is done for this trainee and the next one and the next one. Bang. You're yeah. done, and it slowed you down maybe five minutes to be doing the voiceover and to open Loom and to copy and paste that link. So massive time save for, for training people. And also, you know, it, it's documentation as well, and that's something that is always an afterthought for uh, nonprofits because um, there's never enough time. We know we need to do it. Because what happens if aliens abduct me tomorrow? Right? right? Peril, you know, who else knows how to do payroll? Who else knows how to do this? And we don't want the organization to be in that situation. And so that's, you know, even if you don't have a new hire tomorrow who's coming on, like by all means, please, please, please document those key processes and share those links with other people in the organization. So if that alien abduction does happen, you can do whatever it is that those aliens want you to do with a clean conscience because your organization will
0: be okay. <laughs> okay. So we can surrender to the aliens, but our nonprofits will still be running. Exactly. Loom.com. Oh, that, that is huge. Yeah, end of interview. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> end on a high note. Yes. Okay. So uh, back, back on track. Uh, I, I appreciate that because I know a lot of people are wondering about that. and cause, uh, I think for a little while upfront when, when, you know, COVID-19 lockdowns kind of started, everybody thought, okay, we'll just hold our breath till life goes back to normal. And I think there's this realization, particularly now we're here in mid July in, in Texas, we're dealing with kind of our first real wave in Texas. You know, some people call it the second wave, but for us, it's really the first. And I think we're realizing, oh my gosh, this is gonna go on for a long time. And so I think we have to get very comfortable about performing normal actions in this totally abnormal world, which kind of leads me, I guess, to this question. You know, you put uh, your focus is on that administrative side of things, that back office side of things. You know, maybe this is an obvious question, but I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on it. what. Strains is COVID-19 putting on the back office and then what opportunities. You know, you, you talked about people saying, oh, I'm so glad we did this now. I wish we'd done this years ago. What do you see in kind of the back office world in particular in the coronavirus ravaged uh, landscape? Yeah, those are a couple of big questions. So
1: I had to make a little note here. Um, and I want to preface this by, you know, be that it's um, – I'm not running a back office for nonprofit right now, right? I'm consulting, but fortunately I have some clients and that's uh, who are able to give me some perspective on that. But also I'm I'm plugged into two affinity groups um, that are great. So if there's anybody who's listening who's a nonprofit finance professional in the central Texas area, like let me know. Let me hook you up because having peers to check in with is a really big deal. And similarly, if you're an HR nonprofit professional and you're not a part of the league for nonprofit human capital, let's get you in there so you can be connecting to peers and getting perspective on that. And so, yeah, the strains, you know, they are, it's to, it's adapting to new technology. It's trying to figure out like, how do we like there, I have a, a colleague who's at a, a major local nonprofit and they, they were like really smart woman, really great organization they had to hustle to be able to get the work from home stuff. And there's still some stuff that they just haven't been able to get that totally figured out yet, all the automation and other things that need to happen. And so, um, you know, that, that I know there's a certain amount of stress there for anybody who still has to go back into the office who has to, some people are choosing to cause like I got to get out of the house and, you know, I'll take the risk Their 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 risk tolerance is different from some other people's, but some people have underlying conditions or they just want to be careful either because they're careful by nature or they're extra careful by nature, or they have loved ones that they're trying to take high levels of precaution for. And so for those folks to go back. And so like she has a staff person who's like going in from uh, midnight to 7 AM, partially because he's a night owl, but partially so the other staffer who has to go keep going into the office can do it during the daytime. But you know, that would still be a stressful situation for them if like one of them ended up getting sick and, you know, you find out, you know, that that person's been breathing in that airspace, the same airspace you're going into, even if there's a time separation for some people, that would be um, nerve-wracking. So getting getting the tech, you know, getting the processes and everything set up in a way that we can easily work from home is stressful. It's the, you know, figuring out the Paycheck Protection Program and things like that. And thank goodness it exists um, because for a lot of nonprofits and Programs like that are saving their bacon, and they're allowing them to stay open, and they're allowing their staff to not be in line over at uh, at TWC, which is great. You know, they're not waiting to collect an unemployment check. But at the same time, understanding those programs and applying for them on top of the regular routine is stressful. Figuring out, you know, for those organizations that are still serving clients directly, like you know, I think Meals on Wheels is still doing a certain degree of that and a lot of others where really like their their mission requires that. Um, are, or you know ones that are working with battered women and this, that and the other, like figuring out how do you deliver at least halfway you know, a minimal level of service, how much of that can you put onto things like Zoom and go to meetings where their clients have access to that technology? Some people don't even have smartphones, even though some of us may take them for granted these days. Um, A lot of people don't. Um, And so it's, you know, it's kind of like take your regular routine and then just add on all these new things. And for a lot of people also, they are, they still have their 9 to 5 or 9 to 9 in some cases, and their kids are not in school. And so they're figuring out how do I still do a good job as a parent, not just plop the kids down in front of the TV for 12 hours a day. And the kids have emotional needs, too. You know, We have a friend whose kid was crying every day because mom was a, a, had a frontline job and was going. in, so the kid was, like, crying every day while mom was at work because the kid knew that mom was in danger of exposure. Um, so there's lots of strains I've been amazed by how well people have pivoted when I check in with my colleagues and my clients, just so many of them are doing well. And, um and I think some of them are also, I think the ones that are doing the best are being conscientious about self care. They're being intentional about, I need to take a break and I'm going to take a break. And so that even if it's like just me with my feet in a kitty pool in the backyard for a few days or, you know, binging on Netflix or whatever because I haven't been able to do that because I have this 9 to 9 job 60 hours a week um so but self care is a big part of the people not burning out um but there are also opportunities like my my colleagues who have um and my my clients who have embraced technology for example I was like all right we knew, we knew we needed to do this for a while but now we we have to do this and we are going to solve the how are we going to automate this process? How are we going to automate that process? Because um, the technology exists there, and we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. And you know, the opportunity is also Zoom and things like that, where you know, you're not having to get on a plane anymore, and you can have these meetings, save everybody at least drive time, if not flight time. And they're finding that a lot of people are now saying, yeah, like. We, we're not sure that we're going to go back to the way things were, even if coronavirus dis, disappeared tomorrow. We might still do a lot of these meetings by Zoom, uh, rather than, you know, doing these conferences and other things that were just very expensive. So it's, there are opportunities there for, for more efficiency, you know, just using people's time, but time better. And a lot of people, they are really making the most of this to, to make those changes. Um, I've done a number of uh, webinars for folks and something I, I like to remind them of is uh, Rahm Emanuel's famous quote from when America was sinking into the last recession in 2008, that, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And making these changes can be, it's, for most people, change is hard. And that's just a part of human nature. Some people embrace it and they love it, but most folks, it's its a challenge emotionally and just finding the time to do it. Um But there is nothing like, an emergency to really kind of shuffle the deck and create the opportunity for the change that, that you've known has been necessary. Cause there's never a time that people are more open to change than when all the cards are up in the air. And so for those folks who are the change makers in their organization or who have wanted to be the change makers, this, um, so if you haven't done it already, this is the time to come in and say, Hey, I know, I know things will be different, but this is going to, save us some money or it'll let us go home at five instead of six o'clock, or it's going to give our clients a better experience or our donors a better experience. And like, this is the time, if you've gotten resistance before, this is the time to introduce those changes because people are more open to them than they're going to be again in another, it's going to be another 10 years before this opportunity reappears.
0: Right. So, you know, you, you'd kind of talked about this uh, earlier, but in many ways you know, the, the admin side of non-profiteering is the least sexy. I mean, it's just, you know, you're not out there building houses or helping children directly, and you're not out there encouraging people to give, to do, to go do those things. But what right now does a healthy back office bring to the table in the midst of a crisis?
1: Well, yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. Like it's it's not the sexy job, but mo- usually the folks that get into that, they're not, and they're, I'm, I'm sure there are exceptions, but like the, the people that I know that do administrative work, they're not looking for glory. Um, they're, you know, like a little acknowledgement from time to time is good, but they're not usually the people that like need a pat on the head every hour and uh, stuff like that. Like a job well done in serving others is its own reward for most of us. And we're, we're happy to be of, of service. Um, and so now I've forgotten the rest of your question. Um, oh, what, what what does it look like when they're really doing a great job as an administrator in the middle of co- coronavirus, well, right?
0: My, my question is uh, right now I know there's a lot of of leaders, again, particularly small organizations that are faced with crises on all fronts, you know, on, you know from, from fundraising to how to carry out programs. But what – something we've talked about is how a healthy – uh, back office, you know, really empowers the other two, as you said, legs or uh, legs of that stool. Particularly in a particularly in a crisis, what does a healthy back office bring to the table? Yeah, so a thousand
1: things, and so you know, some of it we've already discussed, and I, I may repeat myself here, but I'll, I'll start with something I haven't told you, which is, um, especially in crisis, the you know the the leaders in an organization you don't have to be at the top of the totem pole to be a leader you just are part of the organization and people notice what you're doing and follow your example um and so you can be the new intern or you can be the CEO or somewhere in between um but i think a key part of the administrative uh department's role is to be calm to kind of be like that action hero in the movies and they're just walking and stuff is exploding behind them and left and right and all kinds of craziness and chaos is going on. And they're just walking without a care in the world, slowly and steadily, but they're not panicking. They're keeping a cool head. They still have one eye on the big picture. And that's, that's hard to do. Um, it takes practice. Um, and well, I'm, some people I'm sure are born with it naturally, but for most of us it takes practice <laughs> um, and sometimes some reminders and encouragement um, and experience that, okay, yeah, we will, you know, we got through that crisis and that crisis and that crisis, we'll get through this one. And so the world isn't going to end. Um, but that when you do that, part of it is that people are going to see that because they will take, people take their cues from each other. And if they see another a coworker panicking, they're going to panic. And sometimes they'll do it even more if it is the person, somebody in the administrative function, because people are worried about money right now. And if they see the person who runs their payroll getting all panicky and worried about money, well, you know, pretty soon the whole staff is going to be all panicky and worried about money. And that that's not good for anybody. That, that, that doesn't take anybody to a good place. And so even if, you know, things are on fire, um, Uh, the the administrators who are going to be most effective are going to recognize that kind of like their own emotions on that, and not that they suppress that, but they manage to be careful about how and when that gets expressed visually and verbally, and they, they know that they need to stay calm enough to really get past the panic and to the level of what are we going to do about this? Because if we just start running around in panic mode, then the whole house burns down, right? And how am I going to make sure that this is just a kitchen fire and not a three alarm fire? And so that's, that's a a key part. It's not, and this is for anybody in the organization, but certainly the administrative staff, a lot of times people are when they're worried about money, they're looking at us and like, yeah, you know, how is the bottom line and this, that, and the other. And, and, you know, they, they need to know that we're handling this calmly and carefully. We are not panicking. There's no reason to panic and no reason to trample people on your way to the exit doors. And that we're going to be, we're going to put together a really good plan. We're going to, you know, these are not the best cards, but we're going to play them in the best way that we can. And so we're going to be careful and thoughtful about how we play these cards so that we can get to the other side of this in the best possible way. And, you know, there was um, a great article that the harvest Harvard business review published, it was around 2010, so after the last recession, and it talked about, the you know, what, there are organizations that got through that recession and came out stronger on the other side, there are organizations that folded during the last recession, or came out really a whole lot weaker, and so they went, and they, well, you know, how do we learn from this, and what, you know, what does it, what these organizations that really came out stronger on the other side look like and not, not that anybody ever wishes for a recession or coronavirus or stuff like that, but the are organizations that weather that storm a whole lot better. And the ones that really did the best, they basically did two key things. One of them was uh, key, basically strategic frugality I'm calling it and also strategic investments. And by strategic frugality, I mean, not being cheap, not cutting expenses for the sake of cutting expenses and not, like, going to everybody in the organization. Like, we're just we're just taking 10% off of everything, right? That's not, that's not strategic, and it's not going to help the organization. More than likely, it's going to hurt the organization, and it just leaves everybody bleeding. Uh, going with strategic frugality means very thoughtful cuts. What do we need more? What do we need, need less? Um, is there a program that might be less mission critical than the others? Um, if a pro- if if programs have to be impacted at all um are there things that we're doing that we can put on hold are there anyway there there's a careful thought process that goes into that um and even if the cuts have to be painful uh by being strategic about that they're going to be less painful than just kind of across the board cuts at the same time these organizations that thrived after the recession, they made strategic investments. And a big piece of that was in the technology that knowing and, and so adopting those tools that allowed them to, you know, if they could no longer be a 10 person office or whatever, like how can we be as productive or maybe even more productive with an eight person office? And sometimes you can by adopting the right technology. Sometimes the right technology lets you do as much with eight people as you could with 10 and sometimes for less of the cost. And so if you're going to be, in that situation, let us they, they were very intentional about that. And how do we use this as an opportunity to, yeah, fix our processes, fix our technology, fix the other, you know, bring the other things up to date um, so that we can be stronger? And then once they had those things in place and they used the time under recession to really put new strong processes and a, a strong new foundation in place, they were, once the economy got better, they were
0: poised to really jump and thrive. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I wonder if you would, if you wouldn't mind, I know uh, this is, this interview is already uh, going a little long, a little longer than usual, but I, I really do. I'm enjoying this. And I know I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so verbose, Alice. <laughs> please forgive me. Oh no, 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 no. This is, this is all really great stuff. And I realize you're a consultant and here you are giving lots of advice for free. So uh, <laughs> I'll send you a bill later. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I, I'll feel better about that. But you know, Something that I've heard you mention before was kind of looking at or using your organization's mission as a filter when it comes to those strategic investments and that strategic frugality. Uh, Could you explain a little bit what you mean when you've talked about that in the past? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if it's okay to make a shameless plug,
1: I have blogs about a lot of the stuff we've talked about on my website, seanhale.org. So for folks who want to dig deeper on it, get the citation for that Harvard Business Review article and stuff like that. Um, and so mission, yeah, how do you use the mission values in this time? And, you know, for, for a lot, for many people in the back office, um, you know, like mission values, what does it have to do with me? Like, you know, I, I cut the checks and, you know, this, that and the other. Um, but actually it can be, It can really be your friend and everybody's friend really in these tough times. And the very best nonprofits or for-profits for that matter, they are invoking their mission and values on a daily basis. They have a mission and values that are you can print on a business card and everybody in the organization has memorized because it's it's short and sweet and clear. And you bring that into all the major and sometimes the the minor and medium-sized decisions as well, because that should be the filter about whether you do something. If, you know, like in the fundraising world, like let's say somebody comes to your organization and like, hey, you know, I'd really like to donate this Ferris wheel. It's historic. It's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, it's a beautiful Ferris wheel. But ideally, you're like looking at your mission and your values, and, like, does that fit in? And for some organizations, you know, like an organization serving kids, you know, that might be an awesome donation to get a Ferris wheel and a million dollars to operate it. For other organizations, that might be a real distraction. And so you need to turn that gift down. Um, And similarly, like, while there's nobody that I know of, like, giving away Ferris wheels right now, decisions have to be made. and whether or not you sit in the admin chair or the program chair or the CEO chair or the fundraising chair, if you're having to have difficult conversations in the organization right now, whether whether it's about how you're going to be making hopefully strategic and frugal cuts um, or it's about other difficult things like how you're going to reopen, bring the mission and values to the table because that can provide so much clarity about what the right thing is because otherwise it can really come down to making decisions based on people's fears people's guts um or a hundred other or you know like who's the most who's the most popular kid in the class like and none of those things should be (laughs) the deciding factor when you have important decisions to make and it really should come back to like okay yeah like if you're in a situation where you run a nonprofit that you know Serves animals or or whatever, and you know you you've, you're pretty clear that you that the right thing to do is instead of having five programs, you need to have four. And well, which program's going to have to get cut? Like that part's clear. Everybody's on board. Like well, which one of these programs is going to get cut? Because they all have great staff. They all do these great this great work. Well, if your mission is to serve dogs, and you started a pilot program two years ago that serves cats, then you know you look at your mission and like all right like the cat program. And this isn't because we love, you know, that's not because dogs are inherently better than cats. It's not because we like the dog program staff better than the cat program staff. It's because our mission and our values, they are our North star in this. And if we can't do it all right now, we need to stick to this stuff and really focus on the stuff that is the truest to our our North star. And so it's not about personalities or any other stuff like that. And so it can help you make those decisions and not have it be about, it can hurt, it can help with the hurt feelings and the anguish and make the decision making a lot quicker too.
0: I love that. I, I think that is, I've never quite heard it put in that way of using your values as a filter, but I think that's something we could all benefit from, as you said, even in the for-profit world. Okay, so like I said, we're running a little bit long, but actually we managed to hit on almost everything that I wanted to, to chat about. I, unfortunately, I could probably talk to you for another three hours, and we would probably have another three hours after that. <laughs> <laughs> so for the, for the sake of our listeners, I'm going to ask you one final kind of open-ended question, and just let me preface it with, you know, like I said, we're here in mid-July, and the debate about okay, are we reopening? If we're reopening, how are we reopening? What do we look like going forward? It's it's raging. And I think the obvious answer to most of this is, okay, it's going to look different for everybody and every organization and every city and every county and every neighborhood and every community. But let's do some rank generalization here, shall we? If you had to offer advice about moving forward, about how organizations should go about making these incredibly difficult decisions on offices, on social distancing, on continuing programs, on fundraising, just a a general, okay, what steps should they be taking to come up with a wise plan to move forward? What would you suggest? Ooh,
1: (laughs) tiny little question to end up on. Um, One word
0: answer only, please. Yeah. CNN debate, one word answer only.
1: Wise, (laughs) Um, so you know there's not a whole recipe or perfect recipe for everybody, but certainly you know some of it's the stuff that we've talked about and like mission and values should be at the table for that whole conversation. Um, It you know check in with your peers as well. You're you're not alone in this, and if you don't have a peer network, it's never too late to get one. And so whether or not it's peers who work at organizations with similar missions and or peers because they have similar job functions to you. Those folks can help you get good perspective, share good tips, um, and a thousand other things um, as so that you're not reinventing the wheel so that, you know, if, you know, you've cooked up three or four different ideas and you don't know which one's crazy, like hopefully, you know, they'll help you. say so like, yeah. Plan B is really sucks. Stick with uh, plan A, right? Um, so that that should be a, a piece of it. Um, what I said about, um, you know, the, the the good advice from the Harvard Business Review, I think is really important for folks as well to be intentional and strategic and be frugal rather than cheap when they're making the cuts. Everybody, almost everybody's having to make cuts. But doing that with care, but also, you know, figuring out that pathway so that you are strong at the end of this. And that might mean that you, you know, your organization has to downsize, but, you know, do, do it strategically and figure out, right. You know, like if, yeah, we were a five person organization or a 50 person organization and we're going to, we can really only do, you know, 50% of the stuff. Well, how are you going to be strategic about that? What is the core piece of the mission that you are going to continue to deliver on? Um, What are the, key things that you're going to do during the next 6 to 24 months that it takes us to get to the other side of this so that your nimble, more nimble (laughs) crew is really strong and poised and ready to be at peak efficiency and kick butt so that on the other side of this you can be one of those organizations that's really thriving even if you're having to cut back right now. And so those that's where those investments in, in technology and good processes and making sure you're doing best practices are really good. If you're trying to pick, pick between programs also like are there other are organizations that are in the same issue area, right? Like, they, you know, in this town there are, you know, in some issue areas there can be dozens and, you know, can you talk to the peers at those organizations so that, you know, maybe all of you are cutting back on something, but maybe what you're cutting back on are the areas where you are overlapping so that each of you is specializing more in something that you uniquely can do well and other nonprofits, you know, the other they're, they're, the other ones are going to each kind of get more specialized and so that that way you're not leaving gaps, right? There are dozens of organizations that, for well, maybe not dozens, but probably at least a dozen organizations in town that serve the homeless. There's a certain amount of overlap in what they do. And I'm sure that they've been having conversations because I know some of the leaders in those and they about like, yeah, how do we not leave major gaps for the population that we serve? And so I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, you know, trimming around the edges at that place in areas where they perhaps overlap and, and digging deep on on specializing in certain things. I'm sure I could go on, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what's popping in my mind right now.
0: No, I, I think that's fantastic. You know, it's one of those things that I obviously come from the for-profit background. I live in the nonprofit world, though, and thinking about coordinating with others, other organizations makes so much sense, but it's something that I would oftentimes overlook. Uh So I think that I can't think of a better uh, piece of advice to end on is you know, start leaning on each other and uh, we can get through this. Well, exactly. Sean, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Maybe we'll wind up doing another one so we can cover the other million topics that I would love to cover with you. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and I know our listeners have definitely benefited from the knowledge that you bring to the table.
1: Well, Dallas, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun, um, and uh, I'm happy to have the opportunity to, uh, uh, yeah, hopefully share something that's hopefully helpful for somebody out there. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'm just grateful to you for the opportunity for me and that you're you found this new way during these crazy times to help the the nonprofit ecosystem because it is through this kind of collaboration and sharing of ideas and information that we're all going to emerge stronger from this. So
0: thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.